Well, good morning, everybody. Let's stand and let's sing. Let's tell, we can be reminded ourselves that His grace is more than sufficient. His grace is enough. Let's sing this together.
Yes, give the Lord a hand. We love you, Jesus. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We're glad that you're here this morning. Glad to worship with us over this holiday weekend. And we just want to thank you for being here. You'll notice in the pew rack in front of you, if you're a guest with us, that there's a little white guest registration card. And if you'll take just a moment to fill that out for us at the conclusion of the service as you're exiting the worship center, as you head down to your left, you'll see a welcome desk there. And you can drop that card off uh, there in the box there on that welcome desk, or you can hand it there to a pastor that's there at the desk. And so we appreciate you taking just a moment to do that. We'd love for, you know, to be able to connect with you and tell you about the things that are going on in the life of our church. I want to just begin this morning just by praying and just by inviting God to lead us here in worship this morning and just to be mindful for us to just be thankful of His grace. We just sang about His grace, but let's take just a moment to pray and to thank God for His grace. Father in heaven, it's good to be here to worship you this morning. And we just come and, and we want to hear from you. We want to we see your truth. We want to have our lives changed today uh, because of your word. And Lord, as, as we've come together this morning and as we've begun worship, we've already uh, just recognized that you are a God of grace. And we've seen that your grace is sufficient. We just say thank you for being a gracious, loving God toward us. That no matter what we've done wrong, no matter the many ways we've failed you, God, you're a loving God, a gracious God, a God who cares about us and a God who loves us. You forgive us. And so, Lord, help us as we begin to worship this morning to not uh, be overcome with, with guilt, but just to come and just to, uh, just to sit in your grace and, to be rec and just to recognize your love and your goodness toward us. Father, you are a good, good Father. And as we continue to worship this morning, we thank you for your grace. Help us just to recognize your goodness now. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and let's continue to sing together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Come on. Then Jesus' blood and righteousness. Oh, I dare not trust the sweetest spring, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Now let's sing that again. Here we go. My hope is built on nothing less. Nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Oh, I dare not trust. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But wholly lean on you. But wholly trust in Jesus' name. Oh, it's Christ alone. Christ alone. Cornerstone. Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. Do you believe? 
that this morning. He is Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and every low, in every high and stormy game, my anchor holds. Stone, 
Messiah still and all alone. Let's sing it to him. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Then all The sun of heaven rose again. Praise the Lord. And trampled death. Where is your sting? The angel roared for Christ the King. Sing it up, church. Here we go.
thankful for all that you've done for us. Would you please be seated? This was a song that we, that Jake, Jake and I got to talking about during his ser- this series. One of my favorite songs, and and uh, we thought maybe it would kind of go along well with what he was preaching, leaving a legacy. And uh, I asked Donna to sing it. So here we go. Don't mind if you got something nice to say about me, and I enjoy an accolade like the rest. You could take my picture and hang it in a gallery of all the who's, who's, and so-and-so's that used to be the best at such and such. It wouldn't matter much.
Well, good morning. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Acts, chapter 11. And we're in the third and final week of this series called Legacy. And as you turn there, I just want to, again, thank Dr. Cox for this opportunity. And I want to just thank you as a church for investing in me and Tim and allowing us to have these three-week series this church year and to do this. Uh, I know we're grateful for that. And as we jump in to this series, the big overarching idea is this. Paul says that what he has received from Jesus on the road to Damascus, from Peter and James in Jerusalem, what he received, the gospel, he passed on. He left a legacy of most importance. And so as an overview of where we've gone, week one, we saw that, listen, we have a message, right? We have a gospel. That gospel creates a people, a community, the church, And then today what we're going to look at is this final application of the gospel. We're going to see that the church has a purpose. We have a mission to complete. And so today we're going to look at the church in Antioch because the church in Antioch is a a model for what mission looks like. It's an example for what all churches should try to be like. Now, growing up as an 80s kid and a um, teenager in the 90s, there was an athlete that everybody wanted to be like, right? His name was Mike. Like Mike, if I could be like Mike. And so as a low-tech visual aid this morning, I brought a basketball. Because when I grew up, I I had the jersey, I had the shoes, I drank Gatorade. Sometimes when the ball was in my hands, I would stick my tongue out a little bit just to be like Mike. And then as I got older, I wanted to be like Mike, and I tried to dunk a basketball. And guess what I found out? I am nothing like Mike, right? But I went for it. I went all in on it. And that's that's the thing about the church. Hey, listen, we may never look like Antioch. We may never look like the model. But let's go all in, and let's try, and let's see where we land. So we're going to go back to this here in just a second. Hopefully that will stay there. So Antioch is the, uh, the example that we're going to look at. It's the Michael Jordan of churches. Get some context about this. This is the lor- third largest city in the Greco-Roman world. Roughly half a million people lived live there. Politically, it was the capital city. Uh, the Roman military was there. Geographically, it's three miles south of Jerusalem. So it's, it's a pretty long uh, hike to get there. It's southeast Turkey today would be the modern-day location. It served as a crossroads uh, to the north, the south, and the east. In the city, you would find Greeks, Romans, Syrians, Phoenicians, Jews, Arabs, Egyptians, Africans, Indians, and Asians. I mean, it would be the best place to do some people watching, wouldn't it? It would be like our Walmart during Bonnaroo, you know? It would be amazing. Religiously, they were pluralistic. It was known as the house or the city of the gods. Um, in Antioch, uh, the, the cult prostitute Dauphine was there. So the city was full of immorality. When Roman culture began to decline, what the people said is that the waters of Antioch have now reached the city. But what we see is that God's light shines brightest in a dark world. And so Antioch was the first place where the disciples were called Christians. It was a derogatory term. They were trying to make fun of them 
They're like, you disciples, you're just like, you're like little Jesuses, little Christs. Kind of reminds me at Bonnaroo when they call us the Jesus tent, right? They might be making fun of us, but they're right. That's what we are there. And so what we want to see tonight, today is the church at Antioch, what made it so powerful? What are the ingredients of a missional church? That's our question we're going to ask this morning. And here's the big idea. The big idea is this. If I could give you the message in just a sentence, it would be this. Every Christian has a role to play in the mission of God. Every one of us has a role to play. And, and we're going to see four different roles that we see here in this church that the people played into in the mission. As a country, as a nation, we kind of used to have this philosophy that everybody in our country plays a role. And on this Memorial Day, when we honor those who gave their lives for our country, I want to take you back to World War II for just a second, where the United States lived out this kind of philosophy that everybody has a role to play in the mission. You see, we were fighting a battle on two fronts. One was against the Japanese, the other was against the Germans. And the United States of America became a military machine. And a Japanese admiral, his name was uh, Asoroku Yatamato. I know, I'm terrible at pronouncing names, all right? And I appreciate the laughter there, though. But here's the thing, here's what he said. He said, if, if we invade America, this is what's going to happen. There will be a rifle under every blade of grass. He said, we can't do that. And if you think about that, as Americans, that's who we are, right? Somebody invades us, we're grabbing our weapons and we're going to war. Think about it as Tennesseans. If someone were to invade Tennessee, we would not wait for the military to come and battle for us. We'd grab our weapons and go to war right now. You think about the people in this room. If I were to ask you, how many weapons do you currently have you would need clarification to that question, right? You'd want to know, do you mean at my house or in my truck right now? <laughs> Listen, talking about war, I know is sometimes difficult. Talking about battle, I get that. But here's the thing. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual war. We have a spiritual enemy. And here's the thing. We have a mission to complete. And sometimes we, we don't live on mission because we forget we're in the battle. Every Christian has a role to play in the mission of God. Here's the four key components we see here of living on mission from this text. The first role is this. It's a passion for evangelism. Look at verses 19 through 21 with me. It says this. Those who have been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, they made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one except Jews. And so, uh, you know, Stephen is stoned. The church scatters out of Jerusalem. And some went as far as Antioch, right, 300 miles south. And it says here that some of them would only talk to Jews, right? Uh, they would only talk to those within the church or what they were, were, were familiar with. But then we see here in verse 20, it says, But there were some of them, uh, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists. These were the Greeks, the Gentiles, the unchurched, proclaiming the good news about the Lord. 
They understood they had a message. Verse 21, And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, who were these evangelists? Well, the text names them. It says their name is them, right? We don't get their names. They're they're unnamed nobodies. There's no Peter or James casting a shadow over them. These are nameless nobodies who changed the world. Nameless disciples who are known by Jesus, who changed the world here in Antioch. This church got started because of nobodies who witnessed to their neighbors. You see, these people embraced their missional or missionary identity as Christians. Every Christian is a missionary, right? Uh, The only difference between you and an overseas missionary is location, not identity, because every Christian is a missionary. How do I know that? Our Lord Jesus left heaven, came to earth on a mission trip to be a missionary to save the world. And if we follow him, that's our job as well. And so God's given us neighborhoods, he's given us networks, and he's given us all of this for the purpose of mission. So what does a passion for evangelism look like? In this text, I think you see three things that tell you what that looks like. Number one, a passion for evangelism starts with a burning passion for Jesus. These guys are scattered because of persecution. But that doesn't stop them. They continue speaking the word. These guys didn't have positions. They didn't have a mission board that sent them. There was nothing official about what they were doing. They were just talking about what mattered most to them. They were just talking about the things that they loved. And it was just a natural overflow of who they are. Not only do we see a passion for Jesus, we see a cultural engagement mentality. We see that these are men of Cyprus and of Cyrene. So Cyprus is a... uh, it's an island outside of the Mediterranean, and Cyrene is actually modern-day Libya, so this is North Africa. I love this because today we might send American missionaries to Africa, but what's amazing is that the gospel got to us because of missionaries from Africa who brought the gospel our way. But these men were, in, were capable of engaging this great city because they always did business with Gentiles. They weren't afraid to talk to people who were lost. They did business with the Greeks all the time. They knew what it meant to be all things to all people. Here's the takeaway. Faithfulness to the mission is not retreating from the world. It's being in the world, but not of it. You see, sometimes we can go to either side of the ditch. We can go at war with the culture because of how evil it is, Or we can run away from the culture because we don't want to be a part of it. Both strategies are going to miss the mark to the mission. The mission calls us to engage the world. We don't become like it. We show a better way and we tell a better story. The third thing you see to have a passion for evangelism is that they trusted in God's sovereignty. And I think that's the key. You look at what made the difference, and in verse 21 it says, the Lord's hand was on them. I love in the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah goes to the king and says, hey, I want to rebuild the walls of the city in Jerusalem, the king says, yes, and I'm going to pay for it. And the text tells us why the king says yes. It says, 
The good hand of my God was on me, Nehemiah writes. Elijah says in 1 Kings, the hand of God was on me. Let me ask you today, church, are you asking for the hand of God to be on your life? I think you should, right? Let's go back to this basketball for a second, okay? When this basketball gets into my hands, guess what it's good for? About two to four points a game, a couple of rebounds, and I'll probably foul out in the second half. That's probably what it's good for. But if this, hands, this basketball's in the hands of Michael Jordan, what's it good for? Six NBA championships, right? It's the same ball no matter what. But the person who puts their hand on it, it changes everything. Church, we've, we've got to be asking God to put his hand on us. Because here's the thing. I know what I'm capable of, right? And I know what the Lord's capable of. And, and here's the thing. As a church, we can have amazing logos, We can have an incredible website. We can have amazing worship services. We can have incredible preachers. We can have great connection groups and an amazing strategy. But if we do not have the hand of God on our church, it really doesn't matter, does it? Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build in vain. We want... God's hand on our lives. We want God's hand on our ministry. We want God's hand on our church. So what does a passion for evangelism look like specifically for us? It means doing the work. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 5 says, do the work of the evangelist. Evangelism's work. So we've got to do it. But here's the other thing. It's making sure our friends and our family know Jesus. It's making sure we celebrate every single baptism. It's making sure we celebrate when our church grows, and because of the growth, it may change a little bit, and we're okay with that. It's making sure that our hearts never grow inward, that in our connection groups, it's never just us four and no more, that we're okay if we grow, expand, and maybe even multiply. The first thing we see in a missional church is we see a passion for evangelism. But not only that, here's the second thing we see, and I love this. The second ingredient of the missional church, there's a ministry of encouragement. Uh, Look at verses 22 through 24 with me. Then the report about them was heard by the church that was in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. And encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. Verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and the faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. So Jerusalem sends somebody to go check things out and make sure everything's okay, what's going down there. And uh, they send the son of encouragement. They send Barnabas. And next to Jesus, Barnabas has to be one of my favorite people in the Bible. And what we know about him is Barnabas was generous. He invested in the younger generations. He invested in Paul. He invested in Mark. He was patient with people's imperfections. And the son of encouragement was his nickname. Now, you get a nickname because you earn it by your actions. Let me ask you this morning. 
Could somebody say this of you? That you are a son of encouragement. I love this in verse 23. It says, when he arrived there, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. A legalist will see the grace of God and get mad. But a Christian sees the grace of God and is always glad to see it. And you notice here in verse 24 how encouragement led people to Jesus. So I want to tell you a story. Um, Last week, uh, I was preaching, and my wife Katie was helping Daniel lead worship. And so Rick and Rhonda, our in-laws, are some of the greatest people on earth, right? They said, hey, I know you guys are going to be busy Sunday morning. Go ahead and bring the kids over. We'll take them for the night. Now, that's a big deal because we got twins, and they like to get into everything, right? But they said, go ahead and bring them over. And I think they thought we would bring them over about bedtime. But we maybe milked the system just a little bit and brought them about two hours before bedtime at 6. And Rick was like, why, why are you bringing them over so early? But anyway, less, less about that. And what we did was we went out to dinner together just to squeeze in a little bit of a date night. And we, so we went up to the mountain, and we're having dinner. And while we're having dinner, one of the servers, not our server, but just, just another one there, She walks up to Katie and she just says, I'm sorry, ma'am, I just have to tell you, you are absolutely beautiful. You are stunning. So we're eating, we're like, "Uh, okay, right? Like I wanted to say, I tell her that every day. She doesn't listen to me, you know, but the Holy Spirit was like, don't do that, stop, you know, Uh, push it down. She said, you're just absolutely stunning. And then her next line is what captured me. She said, I'm a Christian And I believe in building people up. And I just wanted to tell you that. She walked away. She had no clue what an impact that had, right? Katie was just taken back. But I love that line. I'm a Christian, and I believe in building people up. She didn't know who we were. She didn't know what we do. She didn't know any of that. Do you see how encouragement plays into the mission of God? Here's something I know about everybody in this room right now. We're all a little wounded, aren't we? I don't think there's anybody here right now who would say, I am over-encouraged. I've had enough. Everybody back off, right? I think we all could use a little bit of encouragement. And so here's what I want you to think about. Before the day's over with, you've got a spot in your worship guide that says, who can I encourage this week? I want you to pray. I want you to write a name down as a commitment. And this week, you are going to encourage that person. And let's just see what God does through that. A passion for evangelism. A ministry of encouragement. Third element is intentional discipleship. Look at verse 25 through 26 with me. Then Barnabas goes to Tarsus uh, to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. What do you need to be a good disciple maker? Well, you need evangelism, you need encouragement, and you need good theology. I love Barnabas here. He knows his strengths and his weaknesses. He knows what he's good at. He knows that he's obviously good at encouragement. He's good at evangelism, but he knows the church needs a teacher. So he went and got the very best. He went and got Paul. 
And what's so ironic here, take you back to verse 19 for a second. Those who had been scattered by the persecution, right? Who started the persecution? It was Saul. The guy who was the persecutor is now the pastor of the church in Antioch. If you don't think God has a sense of humor, you're not paying attention, right? I I say it another way. If you don't believe God is in control of all things, I don't know how to persuade you because only God could make this happen. I think this is what I love about Barnabas so much. I'm amazed at his wisdom and humility. Barnabas could have been the celebrity pastor of Antioch. Instead, he gives himself a demotion here. Because not long after this, the language in Acts is going to change. It's going to go from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas. But here's what Barnabas understood. You can build a crowd with your personality, but you build a church through the word of God, right? So look at the fruit of this discipleship. Look what happens. It says, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. The term Christian means little Christ. It was most likely people were making fun of them, but it was received as a compliment. When people look at us, who should they see? They should see Jesus, right? Everybody should look at us and say, you're nothing but a little Christ. And we would say, you're right. That's who I am. Like every time I think about Bonnaroo, I think about the legacy of this church at the Jesus tent. They cost the Jesus tent for a reason. But think about this for a minute. In your neighborhood, at work, in your family, who, who do people see? Do they see Jesus in you? The final element of a missional church is this. It's a heart for generosity. So if you look at verses 27 through 30, here's what you're going to see. It says, in those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. It seems like the church in Jerusalem just keeps having mission trips down here to Antioch, right? Verse 28, one of them, them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine through the Roman world. So this is kind of like Joseph in Egypt, right? In the book of Genesis. And he says, this took place during the reign of Claudius. I love that Luke throws in that part. When you read the Bible, you see real people, real events, real locations. You can look it up in the history. There was a famine that happened during the reign of Claudius. Verse 29, each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this sending it to the elders by the means of Barnabas and Saul. So Antioch, which is a larger church, a larger location with more resources, it finds out that their brothers and sisters in Judea need help. And so they decide to bless their brothers and sisters. And I want you to hear this. Their generosity wasn't just financial. Now here at our church, man, we've got great ways that you can do this, right? We have mission offerings, We have disaster relief that's getting revived, and people are a part of that. We have mission trips. Every week, through your tithes and offerings, you give to the cooperative program. That is used for things just like this. But here's the thing. We'll see in Acts 13 that they didn't just send finances, that the church also sends out Paul and Barnabas 
that they sent out the very best leaders in their church to go and plant other churches. I bring this up because I believe in this room right now, God is calling up people to be missionaries and to go to the ends of the earth. And you just need to be called and just know that God is doing that and it is okay to submit to it right now if you feel the Lord urging that within you. But I believe he's calling missionaries in our church right now too. But what I love this about this is that Antioch was a mission field, but through the church, it becomes a mission board. And that they are sending out missionaries from their church. They're sending the gospel. The gospel creates a community. The community has a mission. And they complete the mission together because... Every Christ follower has a role to play in the mission. So we see four qualities in this text. We see evangelism, encouragement, discipleship, and generosity. And in your worship guide, I would just like you to do this right now, if you can. Look at those four things, and I want you to ask yourself, what areas am I involved in right now in the mission of God? And it may be that you circle one or you circle all four. I'm not sure what it might be. But would you just take a minute and circle the areas where you say, you know what, I'm, I'm involved in, in generosity. I give or I'm involved in evangelism, whatever it might be. Would you circle those for me? And then as you circle those, here's what I would ask you to do. Would, would you ask the Lord to show you right now? Um, where's one area where I could grow? Where's one area over this next year that God really wants to intentionally help me to grow in this area? It could be that you're an encourager, but the Lord wants you to be bold and in your encouragement also point people to Jesus to where you'd be in evangelism. It could be that you're a giver and God bless you, but as you give, you'd also realize, I need to go. I need to serve on a mission trip. I need to serve in an area. Did you know that one way that you can be involved in, in missions and never leave the four walls of our church, that there are lost people right now in our church, and you know where they're located? They're located in children's ministry, student ministry, and in the preschool. And man, you can share the gospel with the lost and never leave the four walls of our church. But if you could underline, where do I need to grow? Because here's my hope, is that we're growing in all four of these areas as we realize we're all called to be a part of the mission of God. As we wrap up, here's what I want us to see through this series. Jesus has given us a message. That message creates a community. And that community has a mission. Gospel, community, and mission. We see that the very first church, that this was their legacy, that this is what they passed down to us. But not only that, <clears throat> this was Jesus' legacy, wasn't it? And Jesus was an evangelist. And Jesus was an encourager. Jesus was a disciple maker. And Jesus was generous. He not only gave his resources, he gave his very blood. He gave his very life for us on the cross. Here's where we wrap up this series. A legacy is something we leave to the next generation. A legacy is something that we do right now. But a legacy is also something that we honor. 
And when we honor Jesus' legacy, essentially what we're doing is we're worshiping him. We're worshiping him by being faithful to the mission of God through evangelism, through encouragement, through discipleship, and generosity. Are you living out this legacy? Are you living into it? Are you honoring the Lord Jesus and the legacy that he left for us? Let's pray together. Father, as we have looked at your word and as we have looked at this series, God, I pray that we would leave a legacy. And God, in leaving this legacy, that we would honor you as our Lord. God, in the ways that you did evangelism, in the way that you encouraged, in the way that you discipled, in the way that you were generous, that those things would be true of us as well as we live into the mission of you, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move and form all of these qualities in us. And we ask this in your good name. Amen. This morning, we invite you to respond to the word of God. It may be by beginning your journey today, creating a gospel legacy by following Jesus. If you want to talk about that, I'll be at the Welcome Center. I'd love to talk to you about that. It could be that you realize that the gospel creates a community and you need to join a local church and be a part of that. You can do that this morning. I'll be at the Welcome Center, or you can talk to another pastor. We'd love to help you with that decision as well. However the Spirit is moving among you, maybe in the areas that you underlined in the worship guide, may you let God have control of your life and submit to him as you respond to the word of God this morning. Would you stand and respond together?
seated for just a couple of more minutes. Thank you, Jake, for sharing with us this series about a legacy. May that be true in our lives and in our church that we leave that kind of legacy for Jesus Christ. Thank you for sharing that. One way you can live out what he talked about today is being at a connection group. If you're new here, go to the Welcome Center, and that is how we're structured to do the discipleship and the generosity and encouragement through small groups. Somebody at the Welcome Center help you find a group starting at 945 that you can be a part of this morning. I want to share with you about next week is a Vacation Bible School Sunday. Our Vacation Bible School begins a week from tomorrow. Hope you're praying for that and inviting kids to come. Next Sunday is our VBS Sunday, so they'll be doing the VBS music. Children will be here in here with us in the worship center. You can wear your VBS t-shirt. I'll be preaching on the theme verse from Philippians 1-6. Hope you'll be a part of that next Sunday in our morning worship services. Thank you for coming and being here today. Well, would you join me as we pray together? And on this Memorial Day weekend, we just want to pause for a moment before I start sharing verbally. We want to pause for a moment to remember those who have given their lives in sacrifice for us in the defense of our country. Jesus said, greater has no one than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus died for us. We're grateful for those who on a lesser scale gave their lives for us in the defense of our country. So before I begin verbally to pray, we'll have just a moment of silence so you could thank God and we could remember the gift of heritage and freedom that we have in our country. Would you bow with me? Oh, you're blessed. We're blessed to be in a country like this and we pause to say thank you for those who have paid the great price of their lives that today we have freedom, liberty that we enjoy. Lord, we thank you most of all for Jesus. 
who is our Lord. We pray, the Lord, that your hand will be on us, be on our church, that we might be the kind of church like Antioch that we have heard described. Oh, Lord, help us to love one another, encourage one another, be generous to one another, share our faith with one another, we pray. Oh, Lord, we commit our lives to you. We thank you for your goodness. And as we go forth from this place, may we walk in the fellowship of your spirit in the joy of the Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen.